the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Monday, Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher. Boy, I wish we had something to talk about here on this glorious Monday, rainy day in Johnson City. Mike, you got anything to talk about? I got nothing. No, I think the show's over. Okay, all right. We appreciate you tuning in. We'll be back next year. No, baby, how about that? How about the way that game ended? And it was one of those things, and I sort of laughed at the end of Mercer when I, I had to deep dive into the stats to find how many points ETSU had scored in the fourth. And get, you think I would have that on a much quicker findable um, stats, on all the dumb stats that I have to my disposal that I never get to or sit on and never use. That is one that has been used quite a bit since Randy Sanders has been here. Specifically this year with now five come from behind, come from behind wins, and I still don't have that ready available. I, I'm, I'm not going to this week either because evidently that's what's winning because you know we're broadcaster machines and all. But I kept you know trying to slow play it. I was like you know the crazy thing about this team is they got the flair for the dramatic, especially Tyler Rydell and leading this team down the field. And then you start the slow build. Okay, if you can get the t- well, first you have to get the stop so they kick the field goal which at the time I think was the right call because Kennesaw State's defense was so dominant. Now, it's easy to look back now and go, well, if you just get the first down and you kill three more minutes, you got no shot. And true. It's 100% true. But at the time, the way the game was going, I just don't – what told you that ETSU was going to be able to go length of the field, two full touchdowns, you know, not a touchdown two-point conversion field goal, but two full touchdowns? You're starting at a great spot because – I have been racking my brain time and time again over the last 48 hours to try and figure out what the turning point was of the game. And that's just something I think you and me do a lot on this show and speculation, of course, and just breaking things down. You always look for themes. You always look for moments. That's our job, right? And until you literally just said that, I, I didn't have anything. I was like, I don't know where this came from, aside from just the obvious that this team does not give up, takes it one play at a time, so what now, all of the generic things that Randy Sanders goes with every single week that always seem to work, I didn't really know. But I think that's as good of a spot to start out our podcast and the conversation on how in the world this game flipped over the last five minutes because that's something I'm not quite sure I will ever understand. But fourth and three, ETSU's 28. Kennesaw State had rattled off, what, 24 unanswered? They were pounding it down the Bucks' throat. And that's not easy to do because ETSU defensively, while they did get beat up some Saturday, right, they've been beat up a lot of the year. They've been short on linebackers. They've been short on defensive linemen. So it was semi-surprising to see. We know Kennesaw State very good at running the ball. I think we were expecting – a lot of that and to a certain level of success. But considering how the game started, considering how the first, you know, what, 35 minutes went, I didn't see that happening. You know, it was uh, 10, 9, 10 minutes left in the third quarter, and I was like, wow, th- this is ETSU's game. And then just a little bit over a quarter later, you're like, I don't see any possible way that ETSU can come back. How are they going to flip the momentum? And maybe that was it. Maybe that was the little glimmer of hope that ETSU needed instead of fourth and three, Wow, Kennesaw State has no doubt that they can see this one out to the end. They're going to keep this. They're going to try and add another touchdown. They're going to put it to a three-score game completely out of reach. They settled for the field goal, and maybe, just maybe, that was the slightest bit of hope that ETSU could have possibly 
grabbed onto and gone on for the victory. So that was what I was going to say is a perfect win-win. It was a great win because Kennesaw State, for them, got two full touchdowns. You can't get the touchdown, the two-point conversion, and you don't know last five minutes. Do you get a quick score? Do they get a stop? Do they get the ball back? Do you kick a 50-yard field goal right? You just feel like tough. What What's a tougher percentage? Two full touchdowns and an onside kick, or two full touchdowns with a quick touchdown. Then you got to stop us. Then you got to get the ball back. Then you got to score again. So that math and the way the game was going, and it was three yards. It was fourth and three. It wasn't fourth and one. wasn't yard and a half. It's fourth and three. Five of nine in that situation in the game for Kennesaw State. So four times they had failed in that situation already. So it wasn't like they were six for six or six for seven or something that gave you some hope that, like, you know, there's no way it's going to happen. Well, five for nine still a pretty good percentage, but there's four times you have failed at the third and short. So the question became, do we not get this and give them all kinds of momentum with 11, or do we try to keep the momentum? Another point on the board. Now we've got 24 straight points being Kennesaw State. And then here's where I was going to go, the play that I think changed for the offense. I think for the team, the – feel good we held them to a field goal still in this that was a feel good for the team the offense i think when the roughing the passer penalty happened because etsu would have been third and 14 on their side of the field they get 15 yards and a first down and i know that uh, tyler rodell ends up converting on fourth down but in all fairness there was nobody within 30 yards of quay holmes once rodell spotted quay holmes he was so wide open that you were able and you could say the fourth down was the next but i think that personal foul penalty got the offense going, and then obviously the fourth down play to Quay Holmes, a, a short pass, was able to continue the movement. And then ETSU finds Will Huzzy with what Tyler Rodell does, throw the ball near basically the bottom of the goalpost and let Will Huzzy jump up in the air and catch the football. You get that, and then everyone knows what's coming. The onside kick, the confusing part was ETSU lined up in the middle, Kennesaw State calls timeout. ETSU comes out and lines up in the middle kick again. And Kennesaw State still only had one guy in the middle and two guys within like five, six yards, but there was nobody there. And then ETSU does catch a lucky bounce because the first guy to touch the ball after 10 yards is Tim Stasekel, and I never would have thought he would be able to get up, run five, six more yards down the field, and dive on the ball to pick it up at the 48-yard line. And that's where – I think the crowd and everyone who had kind of sat on their, their hands the last little bit, and I know it's, it's like they weren't cheering when the touchdown happened for Will Huzzy, but that's when it started to – I think I used unglued on the bracket. That, that's where it really started to – the belief of the fans and the energy of the building turned once that was recovered. I don't think there was a person in the stands that was wearing blue and gold that didn't think they were going to go score a touchdown. And then two pass catches by Nate Atkins – one on the seam route. The one on the sideline is underrated. I, I did not go back and watch the game. I, I watched, I guess ESPN put up some highlights, and I did to kind of thumb through that a couple times. But Sunday, I just wanted a day to just soak it all in, right, and not watch. And then this morning I came in, and I watched the whole game. Uh, Tita Green, I was working on some stats and stuff. And the last five minutes, I was just locked into the screen. We're normally just kind of playing off to the right, and I'm listening and occasionally looking over because I can remember all the play- But that catch is underrated. That ball is sort of behind him. He catches, he hits the ground. Ball does not move at all. And Nate, Nate Atkins proving what a sure-handed tight end he is. 
Then Will Hussey makes two ridiculous catches that don't count. Two of the more underrated catches in football that, that won't go down for anything. One, he gets shoved out of the back of the end zone and got to give the safety credit because he comes over late and just shoves Hussey about three yards, um, which Hussey needed about two and a half to get a foot down and got shoved three yards. And college and pro football, you can do that. Football used to not be able to shove somebody out of bounds, which I thought was the dumbest thing of all time. Of course, rule, yeah. Yeah, they got rid of that. So it was a perfect play uh, by the safety who was like, ooh, he's going to catch this. Let's shove him out of bounds. Then the offsides happens. And then the ball is batted around, and Hussey still makes the catch, both feet again out of bounds, but he makes a ridiculous circus catch. And then I thought they went cover zero. They had, um, uh, I guess it was Quay Holmes to the left in the shotgun formation. He runs the angle route. And when he went cover zero, I, and I tried to get a hold of Rodell to get a, you know, did he see what I saw? But basically, once he did that, he just knew if he waited long enough, you got a linebacker on Holmes. He's going to run out to the flat for a few steps where the running back has to commit to he's going to the flat, puts his foot in the ground and cuts back, and then there's nobody there. There's no – and in fairness, there's no ETH linebacker, North Dakota State linebacker. If you're in that situation, you have a quarterback time, and there's nobody in the middle or deep to help, then that linebacker is going to lose almost every single time. Especially against a Walter Payton Award finalist. So – uh, it's unfair. So he did that. Uh, Quay Holmes, he gets hit. And then Holmes immediately holds up the horns, sort of, let's go for two. Rydell says after the game that Coach had already told him they're going to go for two. You get the injury timeout, which seemed to last forever. And and, the Kennesaw, and, and Kennesaw State had some untimely injuries because that one was timely in a matter. It, it slowed the momentum down. And you're thinking, boy, this is bad because energy in the building is tough to keep up for three minutes when a guy's hurt, right? It's just tough to keep an energy up. Number one, you want to be respectful. But number two, it's just hard to do. There were other injury timeouts which worked as timeouts for ETSU on the first part of that drive to get the first touchdown before the onside kick. Then you line up, you get the timeout, so more time is killed. They come out in the same exact set. They run sailors in motion. And the first thing I will say, I don't know what the, if the play call was any different, but on the first, before the timeout, they had Will Huzzy one-on-one to the bottom, and there was nobody over there. After the timeout, they had ran a safety over there for inside help. So then, they're okay, they're double-teaming Huzzy, trying to take him away. Once they moved Sailors in motion, right, then you knew it was man everywhere else. Then here's where I think it was genius. They were going to have one floater. It was going to be the middle linebacker. And they ran a combination route where West went to the goal line and turned straight down. Atkins went about five yards deep, and then he ran a dig route. The middle linebacker had to make a choice. Do I go for the up guy and Noah West, or do I stay back? And when he came up, it's an easy read for um, Tyler Rydell. And you look at it from the high spots, you look at it from the end zone, You can, especially from the coach's camp from the backside of, of Tyler Rydell, you can see Rydell kind of holding and as soon as that linebacker steps up, you see him kind of raise his head. Now, he's backpedaling the whole time, which I think is the under, underrated part of the play. He knows if he buys enough time with the coverage they had, one of two guys is going to be open, and that shows me how locked in he was to wreck because I think if they would have snapped it the first time, Huzzy was going to get the ball. I think it was going to be similar to um, – it was either going to be a fade route or it was going to be – uh, similar to Malik Murray where he just tries to shake and get to the inside. And the reason I think they'd probably go to the inside because I think Rydell is much better throwing down the seams than he is throwing the outside fade routes, whether it's a deep route, whether it's a goal line route. I just feel like he feels more comfortable with that. 
but Huzzy probably had the option to go in or out. But once they went to shading the second defender over on Huzzy, taking him out, then Sailors takes the, another linebacker out of play. Then to me, it was elementary where it was going to go. It was going to go to the left side, and you watch the route. If you go back and watch it on ESPN, then I think you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. But I thought it was beautifully executed. And, again, I think the under, underrated part of the play was Rydell backing up and throwing off his back foot to get it there. I'll work my way up to that exact point. But another reason I think that the turning point was the Kennesaw State field goal. You talked about it on the show. You talked about it all game. And to see Kennesaw State not go for it on fourth down until the final play of the game, the way they played all year, what were they, 21 of 26, 21 of 25? 22 of 27. 22 of 27, over 80% on fourth down. Now, losing Xavier Shepard early obviously throws a bit of a wrench into everything that you're going to do or so you think, right? You've got a Walter Payton Ward finalist on one side and Quay Holmes. Your Walter Payton Ward finalist, Xavier Shepard, injured so early, that would have definitely been a pretty hard jab right to the solar plexus if I'm uh, Brian Bohannon in that Kennesaw State team. And you saw that there were maybe a couple of drives of transition time where they tried to feel out, all right, what are we going to do with Jonathan Murphy and credit to Jonathan Murphy because he was absolutely unbelievable. It looked like there was absolutely no drop-off from QB1 to QB2 uh, on Saturday in the biggest moment of Kennesaw State's season. Um, so maybe that played into it, right? Because there were a couple fourth and shorts throughout the game where you can point to and say, I think on a normal day, Kennesaw State goes for that. And if they had Xavier Shepard, maybe they'd be a bit more confident. Maybe they'd know exactly what play they would call. They have been doing it all season with him. They can fit things to his strengths. So maybe that is the reason. But if you are as good as Kennesaw State is at what they do, and they are very good, I feel terrible for their program today. A little less terrible because of some stuff that we'll talk about in fail downs. But I feel terrible for the fact that those – kids had a 14-point lead, and I mean, that's one of the, if not the greatest comeback I have ever been within about 500 feet. Of course, you were at the stadium, I was in the studio, but ever been a very small part of, um, just outrageous, unfathomable, really. And when you are that good, and when you have done it that well the entire year, I think you got to be you, especially with how well Jonathan Murphy was playing it didn't seem like they missed Shepard. It seemed like Murphy could do anything he wanted. How do you not go for it? And then maybe that said to, you know, Kennesaw State sideline, maybe a bit of a, wow, why did we not do that? And then some doubt is introduced. So maybe on both sides, that's kind of uh, how it went. Talking about the two-point conversion, and even thinking before the two-point conversion, another turning point I think you could say is when they started involving Nate Adkins more. What was it, five catches for 71 yards in the final two drives alone? Seven for 94 or 95. And he he had that high. big 30-yarder, too, that, that got him to midfield on that so second. 22 half. yards to midfield, and that was the big play on the first drive that started the comeback. So could that have been it? And obviously he did some incredible things down the stretch, and I'm not taking any credit away from him as I transition to that two-point conversion. He made the play on the receiving end, but you are 100% right. That is an all-time underrated throw by Tyler Idell. He is about three or four steps into a backpedal, it makes it damn near a 20-yard throw. Backpedaling, going inches. And the linebacker made the right choice. you got to take away the easier throw, right? you got to force him to throw at those extra seven or eight yards. It gets over his hand by inches on the throw by Rydell. 
perfectly right where Adkins was the only one that could catch it. And he had to go down and get it. I get that. But Rydell was like not only backpedaling, but off the wrong foot, it looked like, but was still able to get enough on it. Um, I was, when I watched it, because obviously I was listening to it in here, and we get about 20 or 30 seconds ahead, as many fans will probably know if they've tried to sync up the broadcast, of the TV broadcast. When I saw the replay, I was just like, I cannot believe he was able to make that throw. I will always remember this game for the rest of my life, as will you and I'm sure all Buck fans that were there and anyone watching, because it was unforgettable. And I'm just not sure if it would have ended up another way. Um, the comeback falling short, you know, the, maybe not getting the onside kick. Um, obviously, we wouldn't be having the same conversation. But, man, I'm not sure that this season, and it's stating maybe a little bit of the obvious. Coach Sanders talked about it today in the Monday press conference. But I'm not sure this season would really have been done justice because, as Coach Sanders said today, you almost have to feel justified a bit in the playoffs when you win a game, right? Like, you almost have to do it to seal, wow, this was that team. And it just didn't feel right at that five- or six-minute mark, down 14, and, yeah, Kennesaw State's really good, but you had to know it was going to be a one-score game. Like, how, how did things get here after we started the way that we did? Uh, this is yet another rabbit out of the hat for a team that has pulled many of them in the four years that Coach Sanders has been here. Another one-score game. Um, they've had some great finishes, but this stands alone to me as certainly the best ETSU football finish that I've seen. Uh, you've been here a lot longer than I have, but I can't imagine that there's a lot of other finishes that can even come close to comparing. To the magnitude of the game, there's not one. The funny thing is somebody asked, and I think it was off air, I don't remember if it was on air or off air, and said, hey, have you ever seen anybody – do the two touchdowns, you know, five minutes ago, and I was like, actually, yes. 2018 ETSU down 15 to Western Carolina with 5.02 to go. But that was different for a lot of reasons. Um, one, the game was nowhere near the, it wasn't even close. The, the, the magnitude of the game, there's nothing like it. And the opponent that you play, no offense to Western Carolina, who was 3-5 and five at that time the game happened, but the one thing I do want to pull out of that, do you know who was one of the most important key pieces down the stretch of that and caught the touchdown, the last touchdown went 10 seconds ago, and then Austin Herrick ran in the two-point conversion, and I'm sure you Familiar know top man. of your head, right? Nate Atkins. So that was the reason when somebody said that, I was like, ooh, that's going to bring up a good talking point because Nate Atkins, who was a freshman on that team with Sailors, with Holmes and everybody else, and he makes the touchdown grab with 10 seconds to go in the game. You fast forward, he makes bigger catches in the field of play. Then he makes the game-winning two-point catch. And he's done so much that people, Buck fans know, but I think in general when you're a tight end, you block, people don't really know. But he's such a reliable wide receiver. He's unbelievable blocker, um, selfish player, or selfless player, I should say. I think it was just a, a fitting ending, especially the way he had caught the pass on the sideline for 30 yards to get him to midfield. He had caught the 22-yard seam route. He caught the 15-yard spectacular play down the sideline or whatever. He makes he, some contested catches, man. That like, <laughs> and he took a shot on that, uh, on one of those, and was still um, 
Matter of fact, I think the linebacker safety who ever hit him was down longer than, than Atkins was. But he's just, if you had to draw up what a football player looks and acts like at the tight end position, he would have to be one of those guys. But there's nothing, the moment itself, you know, ETSU held on for the victory against Villanova in the playoffs. The Grant Rice Bowl, they just dominated Bradshaw. I mean, playoff-wise, postseason, there, there's nothing like it. The comeback versus a quality-ranked top-ten opponent in fourth in one poll and, like, tenth in the other, there, there's nothing like it. You, you cannot compare it to anything. I, you know, you always want to be cautious when, you know, where is the – the comeback has to be it, in the scheme of what it was and when it happened and the ramifications nationally to playoffs and everything. It has to be the greatest comeback in football history. I don't even think that's close. Now, when you talk about is it in the greatest moments, yes. Is it the greatest win ever? Now you got to pause just a little. I'll say this, and you know that, oh, I, here we go. you know that I tend to, in your mind, and I think a lot of historians' mind, tend to just be the guy that comes in. Yeah, you know, I've been here a couple of years. I'm going to claim this is the greatest thing ever. You know, I, I tend to be that guy. I cannot say confidently that it is the greatest accomplishment that ETSU has ever had in football. I believe it's the greatest game because of the stage and how it played out. In terms of it being the biggest accomplishment for the program, while it is just their second playoff win, I still think you have to point to the Grantland Rice Bowl um, because of the historic nature of it. The undefeated season, Terry Bradshaw, the whole thing, the way you dominated that team. Um, I think there's some intricacy, some nuance there where you can't just say, this is the greatest blank ever. I think you have to define that word, and you can come up with a bunch of different answers depending on what that word is. I, I don't think if you said top three, it would be hard to get it out of the conversation. Sure. Top five's a given. Top three, it would be hard, I think, to get out of the conversation. You want to go greatest, and I try to be very careful in all the things. As you know, you try to pigeonhole me in a lot of those, but I, I'm very careful to say the greatest, but I – I cannot, and I've, I've spent a lot of time Sunday really trying to reflect. Saturday was just a blur at the end. Bas- I don't even know what it I can't even print out the wrong sheet for basketball. <laughs> to Portland or Ryan, it took me forever to figure out who they were and, and what it was, and I do feel bad because I try to be, obviously, as professional as I can, especially with teams coming in and try to give them their just due. And so I did feel bad about that, but I think I, I can be excused a little bit from what we had just witnessed and – Experience and the emotional drain I think it took on all of us. Matter of fact, I, I would argue that you had probably one of the more interesting experiences because getting to hear and then celebrate and then get to turn around and fully like soak it in 20 seconds later to watch exactly what you're watching. Yeah, I've talked to other guys that we've had in the studio in years past, and I'm like, I know it's not the same as you being here, but I think it's very interesting when you get a chance to to get sort of the initial reaction and then watch again to see. And, and honestly, I think sometimes, and I know you can't do that every play because there's so much stuff you got to do back here, but there's a play or two I'm sure you're just like, I can cut this up later. I need to sit here and watch this. <laughs> or, see, yeah. or like, holy cow, what, what did we just see? I definitely got there in the last, um, I'd say, minute of the game. And I think it's super interesting just how close we were to what, what I would term an absolutely unforgivable mistake in ETSU's game plan in the second half. 
Clay Holmes was the only one to have any success on the ground the entire day. And he did not run the ball after the 11.48 mark of the third quarter. The last 26-plus minutes, he did not have a carry. And I sit here now and think about just how narrow the margin between unbelievable success and one of the greatest highs in program history is and a head-scratcher of all head-scratchers, a Walter Payton Award finalist, the single season rushing leader in ETSU history, the all-time leading rusher in ETSU history. And I know you have a myriad of weapons on the offensive side and another running back that, hey, you could argue if their roles are switched, he may have just as good of results as Quay Holmes, and he may end up passing Quay Holmes on the all-time rushing list with Quay perhaps not coming back next year and Jacob, from all indications, coming back next year. He may pass him. He may be the greatest all-time after it's all said and done. But with the season that Quay Holmes has had, to not give him a carry at 27 minutes consecutively of any game, let alone the FCS playoffs with a quarterfinal bid on the line trip to NDSU, one of the biggest games in program history, I could not believe it. Then, it's the final drive. And the Bucs have thrown, 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 thrown. I am in studio. This is when I really started to watch it, to your point. I'm in studio screaming at the television, run the ball. You are built on it. Two weeks ago, three weeks ago, two games ago, 461 yards on the ground, granted against a horrific Western Carolina run defense, has been for like 20 years. But you set a program record in the second generation of football for rushing yards in a game. You had two 200-plus yard rushers. Run it, Randy. And he doesn't run it. And then the two-point conversion. The gutsiness to call down one on your home field. And that's, the I think, the part where some people looked and were like, I cannot believe he is doing this. On the road, the conventional wisdom is you're down, especially in a hostile environment, right? And for Kennesaw State, it was a hostile environment. Um, you know, almost 9,000 people, another sellout. Like, William B. Green Jr. Stadium is one of the more hostile environments until you get to the bigger stadiums around FCS. Uh, so on the road, sure, it's a no-brainer, right? Everyone will say, go for two, try to win it. You don't want to take your chances in overtime. Who knows what can happen on the road, so on and so forth. At home, I was shocked, and he did that, and they got it. And now I sit back and think, how could I have questioned any of it? Because time and time again, Randy Sanders has proven to be an elite, and that's not even doing it justice an elite play caller has to be one of the best in the country. And I might even include FBS in that, like all levels. He might be top five, if not top three play callers in the country. There's only one or two decisions I can think of that have me scratching my head this year. And they still have me scratching my head. The field goal uh, at the end of the half against Mercer that he didn't take, you know, that didn't hurt the box. Right. Anytime you think, you know, better than him, right. Running the ball. Run the ball, coach. Yelling at the TV. Go for one, as the student section wanted to, right? The extra point. Um, all the different things I just brought up. Run the ball with Quay Holmes. It's been 27 minutes. You can't second guess. His track record and resume are too ironclad at this point to think, even with an iota of your mind, that you know better than the head coach who did it again in the biggest moment of the season. Can we talk about Tyler Rodell now? Please do. Tyler Rydell, <laughs> coach, made an interesting comment. He said, when we talked to the opposing coaches of Rydell in high school, 
And we talk about it, and they all say, Coach, he's going to frustrate you. He's going to make some decisions that you're really not sure about. But he's a gamer. Like, he, when it comes down to it, he just competes his butt off and does what he can to win games. And it will drive you mad. It's, dr- it's driven them mad playing against him. 10 of 20, first three quarters. And let's be honest, he had a horrific fumble. Where I, oh. He looked like Ken Seal, right? Oh, right from Van. I don't know what in the world is going on. And he ate some sacks that you're just like, throw it away, Tyler. Do, you know, what are you doing? And then his first possession in the fourth quarter is three and out, three incompletions. He then goes the rest of the fourth quarter, 12 of 15, 106 yards and two scores. Mm. And he looked unbelievable. He took one sack. Um, then he got the rough in the passer, so it kind of made amends there. Not that he wanted to probably get rough, but he got amends there. Then he threw one away. He threw two away, actually. There were two balls thrown away, and the other one was where I, I think it was to Price, who had a leap in the air, and when he was coming down, two guys sandwiched him, and it got dislodged. The other 12, so basically one true incompletion, two throwaways, and the other 12 were either on the money or helped out by some nice catches. But 12 of 15, the last five minutes and some change in the fourth quarter, 106 yards, two scores. After he had really one true incompletion, all 60 minutes of the SoCon title. It just, it's incredible. I mean, and it wasn't that he was that, I mean, you look at him, really the third quarter, he was, he was one of five. And if you extend that to the first three plays of the fourth quarter, where he had three straight incompletions, he, that was a stretch he was one for eight. But he finished 22 of 35. What was it? 238? Yeah, 22, 35, 238, three scores. I didn't realize this. And give David Fox credit here, SID for football. He pointed this out post game. He's now tied for second in single season Buccaneer history for passing touchdowns. He's only three behind Greg Ryan for the record. Now, the record's only 22. It hasn't exactly been you know, a, a wealth of incredible passing games year in, year out. But that just shows you. Obviously, how far he's come, and, and that goes without saying. We've talked about that a ton, but you know, just how in those big moments, because a lot of you know those stats come from the last couple of weeks, just how unbelievable he's been. He's got 19 now. He did have the one interception. I, you know, I don't blame him for that. The 50-yard he, pass. Yeah, he's going down. It's, and Don Hellman, who I almost never agree with, uh, <laughs> made – a great point, and I think it was dispelled correctly by Matt Wiljam, but I actually do tend to favor Don a little bit here. It did flip the field, right, and it acted as kind of a punt. I don't mind taking shots like that, specifically on third or fourth down, obviously. That was early in downs. It was a first down play. So I don't love the point as much, but if you're going to have a pick, one of the very few that he's thrown this year, you know, make a count, right, and gain some yardage. And in a game especially, at that time, I, I thought it was going to be 10-7. I mean, it was nothing-nothing, you know. There were, I think I was sitting here with, like, one highlight uh, with, like, five minutes left in the second quarter. Like, it, it was a war of attrition, you know, points at a premium, um, just a battle, uh, which I expected it to be. And then the game opened up completely, and it uh, really didn't resemble that at all the rest of the game. So you're absolutely right. I mean, he continues to show up in the biggest of moments, and – it's like 
it's like the Bucks know. And this is a long-running theme, right, with all the one-score games. It's like they know exactly when they got to flip the switch. And, like, they're just lying in wait, you know, saying, ah, you know, let's, let's string this one along a little bit further, you know, introduce a little bit more doubt that we're not going to be able to get this one done. And you know what? When we really need to jack things up, we're throwing it into overdrive, and here we go. And I know that's not how it is. It just really seems that way. Like, it, it is almost a little laughable how week after week it, it continues to be that way. Like, Mercer, you know, the the chronic, the onside kick off the up man. They pull off the chronic, and it's 35-28, to 28 and first play. With Mercer having the ball, looking like they're going to go down and make something happen, interception, right? And then even later on, uh, ETSU down 35-31, and Mercer driving. What happens? Parker Roble slips out of a break. Weird throw by, um, I can't remember Mercer's quarterback's name right now for whatever reason. Weird throw right into the arms of Elijah Huzzy. And I think what's most important about situations like that is the Bucks make the plays, right? In that Mercer game, DBs, you see it all the time, have so many chances to make plays like that. ETSU's made those plays. Offensively, the Bucks. I think a lot of the game were not their best, right? They, they really had about, what, 15 good offensive minutes before the final five of the game. But they made the plays in those middle 15 minutes. And then down the stretch, they made every single one that they needed to. And without doing that, even one play maybe doesn't go the way that it did. Uh, the whole game could be changed. We could be having a different conversation. Let me ask you this. At what point did you think – the game was over, and the Bucks had lost. Was there a moment like that? And you're ever the optimist, so if you didn't have one, I know no one had one, but... <laughs> no, I can tell you, I can tell you who had one. That, and, and I know exactly what mine was. Don, Don said right before the first drive of the fourth quarter, and we're in a break, and, um, and, and Don will openly admit that he, just like uh, we get the Mike White text, that he would eat crow if he's wrong. If the Bucks don't get points on this drive, I don't see how they're going to do anything. The game will be over. And they went three and out and punted. And then he said it again during the break. And uh, I was like, yeah, feeling pretty good about it, Don? You got, he goes, what? And so then I read – that's when I came back and read the fourth quarter stats. And I, it was like ETSU, when they held to the field goal, I thought door still open. But um, up to that moment, did you ever have a thought like this is done? Was there a play, or was the fumble from Rydell? No, no, because I was third quarter, and ETSU just stinks time. in the third quarter. I, apparently, me, you, and a water bottle could beat ETSU in the third <laughs> quarter. I have no idea what's going on there. But no, I, I didn't have it. There. I think probably just the going over in our head, and I don't remember whether we're thinking out loud or in between the breaks, trying to figure out how many possessions you would get, maybe three in the fourth quarter, which honestly it was two, and then you had to get an onside kick to get the third. But knowing that possessions were minimal, and that's and that's what Don was really saying was like, look, you only have a couple more chances here, especially without Kennesaw State and you, plays, and you haven't stopped them. And if you go three and out again, and your defense is tired, are you going to be able to make a stop? And Kennesaw State got the three and out. They killed another five or six minutes off the clock. And in Don's defense, when the field goal went in, some people hit it for the exits. So that would have been the moment I think most people. And then you watch the first couple plays, and really, Sailors, they finally kick deep to Sailors, and he gets blasted at the 22 or whatever. Right. 
That was an interesting choice. At that moment, I was like, ooh, why are they doing this? Why take the chance? And then gets hit. The energy, the momentum. And, I mean – that was a moment where I was like, oof, I don't know if this is going to be good or not, right? Because they kicked deep to him. I'm, and Matt Wilderman had just said, yeah, boy, you just really hope, like, Sanford, you can get a special teams play that can ignite. And, oh, they're going to kick it deep. And we all got excited. We all got excited. And then, boom, he took a pop. Oh. And I went, oh. It was not quite as good as Trey Foster's hit on the kick return, but it was it was close to uh, a jarring as a hit. That's funny because when Trey Foster had the hit, because the Bucks had just taken the seventeen to seven lead, and then Trey Foster, a running back of all people, right? Like uh, even ETSU's offensive players can blast opponents. Uh, he comes down and makes the hit, and Kansas State takes over on what their own twelve. And I'm like, yes. I think that this and is in the bank. And I, 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 I may be no, I'll give you, I'll this, give you one more play because right after that was the play where DeLint's got a four-yard loss. Mm. So so you had the big hit by Trey Foster. Then it was a triple option. They pitch late, and DeLint's, you know, gets off his guy and makes a hit. So it's second and 14. In your home energy, stadium, right by 10 points I'm with you. That was the moment where you go super fan, and you're like, well, they're going to stop here. It's over. That's it. And then they throw a just a – a quick pass to Xavier Hill, and he goes for like 40 yards, and you're going, oh, uh-oh. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, I was extremely depressed. It was only like nine minutes later, and it was not the fumble, but it was the Julian Price Where he ball slipped over fell. with yes. no one around the, him. And because it, it was second in, what, 33? Yeah. And, and that would have gotten you like 20, 25. Go would have been, honestly, probably more if he stayed on his feet. But even if he falls down and catches it, you're like, okay, it's third manageable. Yeah, he's it was close to the third and ten. I mean, he at least gets twenty some yards back instead of thirty three or whatever it was. And then, so he slips and falls. And again, going back and, and watching a little bit, that was one of the plays I wanted to watch to see how open he was. And my goodness, uh, if he stays on his so feet, open. he's got a first down into Kennesaw State's territory somewhere. And it, that was the fumble slash that probably that was heartbreaking. The three and out in fourth quarter. Again, the fan, you know, and it's, you know, you're Bob taking your title, do what you want to do, but it was one of those things where you're you're almost trying to talk, talk to yourself into like, hey guys, where are you going? Like we've seen this before. It's the only thing you know the Bucks are going to do is give win or lose, they'll give you your money's worth at the end, yeah. right? And then to go for two, and it's the situation where I thought it was the right call, and I get convention is always at home, go for the tie, go for the momentum. But the way Kennesaw State's offense was rolling, the momentum, that's the key. The momentum is in your favor. You've got them on their heels, and you have to have a play that you like and you think is going to be successful, which they ran and they got. But to sit there and see your team come back and to put it into young kids' hands, right, and say, okay, guys, you're in your own building. Either we're going to win this or we're not, but I'm going to put it on you because the chances of getting the second onside kick, the, the, the first one is pretty astronomical. The second one is almost unheard of, back-to-back onside kick recovery. So you know if you miss it, it's over. And they get they get it, and then I thought, again, a small play that mattered. Folks makes a tackle after an eight-yard gain, and so Kennesaw State has to use their last timeout. Kennesaw State had to use – a couple of timeouts in in the game. One was and, and, and both of them didn't pan out well well no, for them. One didn't. one was on the onside kick which they didn't get, and then two was the two point conversion. So then they have to burn their last timeout because the the pass was completed, you know, in the middle of the field. Then honestly, 
it was a pretty good throw by Murphy and almost a catch by Hill on the sideline. It would have gone to the 20, which would have been a game winning because it would have been out of bounds. Stop the clock, would have had a 37, 8-yard field goal attempt to, to win the game and rip your heart out. But Mike Price, Elijah Huzzy was there to be able to break it up. And then Kennesaw, not questioning, I'm sure they know their personnel better, but the fact that they went for a straight Hail Mary from 65 yards was shocking. Yeah. Uh, I just – the, the percent. I mean, even if it's caught, he's diving. Going. I don't know if it was a. There was a runner, a receiver on the other side of the field that was running in, and I don't know if they had. And I've only seen this one other time. And I think it was when the South Dakota South Dakota State did it in the play, in the uh, regular season game a few years ago. But they had a receiver jump up and catch it, and then as he's catching it, he pit, he kind of throws yep. it back. Yeah. And, and I can't I can't swear to – and I didn't notice it live, and I try to watch it on the replay. I don't know if a guy was just running over there to run over there because that's where the ball went. With a semi-hook and ladder or, design. Or, yeah. or if they were trying to do – yes, that's a, a, a great um, terminology. So, I, that's, I don't know if that's what they were doing. But, but just to throw it down the field I think was shocking. And with their speed and making easy issue. I mean, again, the percentages of any of that is very low. But to take a shot, Murphy threw it God, 50 yards, 55 guess, yards in the yeah. air. But uh, to see that get broken up and, and I, Lizzie come down, I thought he actually caught it. Last thing, nothing that mattered. It spit it out and it was incomplete. But, and then to see the fans, right, to just storm the field, which was, I thought, a great sight, a great feel. I remember when I got home, like, uh, <laughs> JC, my daughter, who's nine, is like, Dad, why did, why did they run out on the field? And I'm like, because they were celebrating. She said, we can do that. I said, well, when you get older, you can do that. I don't know that I want you and the, the twin six-year-old boys out there running around. Only on special days like the one we had today, young lady. So that, and, and it was one of those things because um, I'd made a comment about a, a few of the fans that had left, and, and then I'd immediately text my wife. I said, hey, you're in the building, right? And she was like, yeah, why? I said, well, I don't want to crush people for leaving. And then somebody sees, sees my wife and kids leave, and they're going to be like, what are you talking about? She goes, no, no, we're staying. We're not moving. I said, okay. I'm just making, I'm just making sure. Cause, cause I'm, and, again, I it did not fully crush. You, you listen to the broadcast. I didn't hammer anybody. Um, there were plenty of people that ended up just, you know, tuning me in. I had reports from different uh, Wawin Cafe went bonkers. I know Beefo Brady's went bonkers. There were plenty of places where people were watching the game. Uh, together in Johnson City and elsewhere that were just chiming in with, like, oh, my goodness. And and everyone was, was locked down. I know uh, Sunday over at the Johnson City Country Club, a good sponsor of ours, since 1913, but while we were over there for uh, breakfast with Santa, there were a couple of golfers who were like, hey, man, we get off the golf course. And the head pro, Tyler Deaver, was like, hey, I think Kansas State is going to win. And somebody was like, hey, cut on the game. So they just sat there in their golf carts listening to the games, so and they were just going bonkers. And so it, I feel great not not for just the players and everything and, and all the work. It, and, and even though we don't win and lose, right, but we feel, me and Mike, part of the program, like we live and die with, with this stuff, not just because of paychecks, but because we get invested in the players and coaches and everything. But the region. You know, just really felt like that they are kind of wrapping their arms and everyone is, is, is on the train, right, or on the boat since we're Buccaneers. But it seems like everyone in the area has really, you know, once the, the conference championship game came, if they weren't really in it, they were. I think it's unfortunate, and I don't think it's unfortunate that Elizabeth and Hampton played for state championships. I think and Elizabeth and Lawson were the most heartbreaking ways I've seen because we were watching it in the booth during pregame, and I feel bad for her. 
Coach Witten and the Cyclones. But it was a shame that people had to go either watch and support their community there, right, or, or stay here. Now, I know a lot of those people driving back were texting me and either wanting updates or they were listening in or, or, or whatever it was. But I hate that because I think we lost probably a few, at least a thousand fans, I would almost argue, because there's some good season ticket holders that went down there for that. So, But the win for the region, I think, was incredible. Everyone's riding high. People stopped me in Sam's, I don't know, Sunday, and we're just reliving the moment. And it's just one of these things that no matter what happens, this is one of those things 30, 40, 50 years down the road when people are going to add in when – Mike's not originally from here, so who knows where he's at in 40 years. But when somebody says, hey, what, what, what's one of your favorite games? Or what's a game you can't believe? I refuse to believe you're going to have five more, three yeah. more games that are ever going to top what you saw. No. And to have it happen here into this and, and to be a part of something like this, I, I know it's going to be hard to, to top. And, I, and there's always a few moments where I'm like, boy, I just don't think we're going to top it. And to be honest, if I looked at you and said, you know what, Mike, we called – the championship game against Mercer. There's not an ending you probably could write that could top that. Boom, there it was. And then and then there's ETSU saying, hold my wicked weed, and then bam, there they go. It's unbelievable. I feel great for the players and, yeah, the region, the university, everybody involved. Like, I mean, 2014 when he didn't have, we talked about it on Thursday, how much are football or jerseys. Like, imagine saying seven years later, you're going to have a couple weeks like the Bucks just did. And I feel especially good for Randy Sanders, had that emotional moment in the press conference talking about his dad passing away 10 years ago. Like, how crazy is that? Like, he said he felt like they needed divine intervention and look up to the heavens, and 10 years from the day, like, that is nuts. Fred Norman, you know, nine, nine years, years yeah. from his mom passing away. And even, I know a good, you know, listener of our show, big Buck fan, Bucky Stutters on Twitter, you know, he lost his dad like two, three days before the game, and uh, just kind of eerie that it worked out that way where it did seem like all hope was lost and there was no tomorrow for the season and you've got all these things uh, kind of aligning you know and I'm not honestly just and I know this isn't popular in the region but I you know, I'm not someone that is like a churchgoer every Sunday and super big into faith quite honestly but gosh you see stories like that and you're like seems like something bigger's going on you know and so condolences to coach Sanders you know Bucky Starters our guy and Fred Norman on the loss of obviously I've lost a parent it's very difficult you've lost a parent it's very difficult so, and the symmetry of this season the four year anniversary of my mother passing mm-hmm. was Vanderbilt wow the exact day we played Vanderbilt <laughs> I mean think about that I just like, talked to Fred in the hallway about that I was like I, I, I obviously I don't understand because I wasn't your age right. when you lost your mother you know you're talking about Fred's 20 years old He, you know a, a 10 or 11 years old um, I think he's 20 but the, 9 years old mm-hmm. when you lose your mother I can't even imagine you know I was in my Forty. I think yeah. it was exactly forty. I lost my mother. So, different scenario. You know, obviously, Coach was a grown man when he lost his dad, and, and Bucky Stutter's dad was in his nineties. So, we're on a different state than I think Fred is. And Fred was laying on the ground in the end zone, and was just almost in disbelief. And I didn't even notice it. And Matt Wilson was like, "Hey, who's that down there? You know, having an emotional moment and just laying there like he can't believe it was." And had to get the binoculars out of him. I go, oh, "It's Big Fred." And then you see on Twitter later, like, yeah. oh my goodness, ah, oh, just it make, makes makes your heart hurt. But you're right; there some things can't be explained, and sometimes special things happen, and they happen. We thought 2018, and it did. Special things happen. Yeah. Special wins, way you invent ways to win. 
And to win, and certainly I'm not here to predict national championship, but we all know to win championships, things that you can't explain always seem to happen and happen in your favor. And things happened, at least that game, and the Mercer game, in ETSU's favor. And then the toughest task they're going to have is going to be the big Goliath, the Alabama of FCS. But yeah, matter of fact, even better, because they've won eight of the past ten yeah. national championships. And you're going to go up there at their place in an environment in which they've had one loss at home in the playoffs in the last ten years. One final thing before we go to our field downs, where obviously we have kind of the, you know, and you say you can't explain some of it. Obviously we are super big on explanations, but there was an element it seemed like Saturday that just could not be explained. Um, but before we move on to the NDSU conversation, I do think we have to say we're going to save the conversation of, is this the greatest team in school history until the season's done? Right? I think that's probably fair because we don't know how far it's fair. going to get. But it is the most wins, which we didn't say yet. Right? 11, yep, 11. Uh, most school history breaks the tie with 1969, 1996. But think about how lucky we are. This is the second time we've had a conversation like this in the last, really, I guess, 18 or so months, a little bit more than 18 months, because men's basketball had maybe the greatest season in program history in 2019-20. And then even going back to 2018, the speaking of the unexplainable, like <laughs> the storybook fairy tale way that season played out, you've got three seasons in the last four years that I think someone in their lifetime, if they got to experience one of them, would be like, wow, I feel blessed to be involved in that. Like, think about all the positives and the almost just otherworldly occurrences over the last four years, 2018, 19, 2021. It is nuts to me. You look at, and I've said this before, it's very hard at the mid-major level to be good at both. Yeah. Football or men's basketball. And you look across and look at the top 25 of, you know, basketball. Villanova has it. Right. And, and yeah, that was one of the teams I was going to bring up. Villanova does it. Very good one double A team. Mm -hmm. Not national championship team, but they're always seeded or close to seeded. They're competing for championships. They're there, and obviously men's basketball last several years has yes. won as championships. They're obviously in the conversation. But you look across some other, North Dakota State, not not Solid relevant. men's basketball program. Right. They've but, been to yeah. the tournaments. Not yeah. They haven't been, but not kind of made the noise, right? Sam Houston State, not quite made the noise. Stephen F. Austin's interesting because their team has done good in basketball, but usually when football's okay, the basketball isn't. It's very tough when Chattanooga's football team was going to the quarterfinals or Elite Eight and, and I think semifinals one year, basketball was down. When basketball's been going to the NCAA tournament, their football has been down. It's very tough to be good at both and to sustain. So I think that's going to be the challenge because ETSU 2018 and now, so two times in four years, playoffs, right? Can they continue now to build off this and, and now that they will get preseason respect, right? Because that's the big thing. Can you get in the top 25? Can you get national respect? Can you get whatever? That'll be the thing. Can they stay in there? And then can men's basketball continue to do what it's done for two decades, twenty, really 25 years or so, be able to try to get to the tournament, be there? But it's tough to sustain both. And I think to try to not take a moment to celebrate really what has gone on. And really, if you go back to 2017 NCAA tournament appearance in basketball, 2018 FCS playoffs. You get the COVID year and unfortunately not being able to participate 
uh, in the 1920 year. About a 30 and four season. 30 and four season. Just national people are all over you as you are the darling and going to have maybe the highest seed you've ever had. Not just school history, but could rival maybe the highest seed the Southern Conference has ever put out. And then you talk about you know this football team, which is going to go to North Dakota State, in which it is the uh, now since it uh, squeaked by Kennesaw State, as I've read, it is now uh, the lowest percentage team to win a national championship. So if the deck is stacked, now some of that's probably because you play North Dakota State, North Dakota State. The other part of it is right the other teams that won. At least one a little more convincingly, except for Sam Houston State. I was confused that they were still ranked number one. Needed a goal one. line stand. Yeah, and Carter Ward was a half yard short from tying it up. Now, I don't mean they would have won, but they were right there. But I, I think you'd be remiss if you haven't sit back and looked at from basically 2017 on. Hmm. And you can even go further and say 2015, you start a football program and go from 2015 to where we are now. How do you not just sit back and go, holy cow, as a Buck fan, you've been on one heck of a ride? No doubt. We will talk about, yeah, some, I guess you're talking about uh, odds of winning the national championship. That will be at our fourth fail, uh, but there are a few more before Ooh, that I didn't even well. know that. Here we go. Fail downs. Fail downs after this timeout. San Jose sidekick on the pocket here. Sports Network. You'd be amazed to learn what one Tennessee lottery ticket can lead to. For you, it could be lucky, but for others, it could open the door to so much more. With more than $6 billion raised for education, the Tennessee lottery has proudly funded over one and a half million scholarships and grants. That means, on average, more than 130,000 Tennesseans every year continue their education just because you play. The Tennessee Education Lottery, game-changing, education-benefiting fun. One, two, three, fail. 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 greatest segments that we probably accidentally discovered. So, we had the breakdown of the game, got into the history, and I think gave our best and what the moment deserves its time in the serious manner that we needed to in segment one for almost a full hour. I think that you and me being who we are, we couldn't go an entire show just being the serious and, you know, the emotional and the – we have to mix in some smart rear-endery. Is that a thing? I don't think we can swear on this show. Sure. Some um, – Well, we should and we still – Off-the-cuff, uh, off-color humor, you know, can I, uh, that's right, right? Like mm-hmm. some good times. Because we are so sarcastic and so absurd, and it probably drives some people crazy. But if you're listening to this show, you're probably enjoying the sarcasm and the absurdity of every episode like we do. So, there are a number of things that have emerged is from one Saturday's of, it, game. It, it is one of them the uh, North uh, or the Kennesaw State crew uh, mad at me? Uh, no. First, okay. Still not sure. But about I would that. like to hear about still, that. Still not sure. I, I would like to hear about that. Uh, let's first though go with the one that has made the rounds most. I would say most. There's a close second, and that will be in second fail. Uh, was that first fail or first, first down? Fail. Okay, good. Just wanted to make sure. I just like hearing the sound of my own voice, obviously. Coach Stuart Cook. You probably are familiar with who he is now, although I certainly was not before the game started. He is the tight ends and tackles coach for Kennesaw State. 
apparently the man took a trip to the water cooler with about three minutes left in the game. It was 31-17. ETSU was trying to march down the field for that first touchdown. I'll say this in perhaps the slightest defense of Stewart. Um, it's I would still, feel pretty good, too, if I was It him. still <laughs> looks like it was pretty damn impossible. I would still, I would still feel pretty good 99.4% according to ESPN's <laughs> yeah. predictor, right? But – this is why you never count your chickens before they hatch, why you never give your hoot before the game's over as a Kennesaw State out, why you don't run your craw on things you don't know before the game is over. He apparently looked at the student section and said, y'all want some water? Well, hope you enjoy your bye week next week. Now, firstly, confusing to me for a number of reasons, A, the season would be over. It wouldn't be a bye week. You wouldn't play for another nine months. So I didn't think the trash talk was even good. Firstly, it was inaccurate. Secondly, it wasn't even good. Um, thirdly, I get being in front of student sections. You probably hear a lot of very lewd and crude. No, not stuff. the ETSU student section. Good bunch of people, okay. no doubt. But I do have firsthand accounts from that student section that said it did get pretty boisterous, as you can imagine, in a playoff game, right? On a Saturday, you know, you're reaching the end of the semester. You're celebrating kind of as a student. Like, hey, I, I made it. You know, just got finals week and – then I can, you know, take a break for a month. It's the culmination of a lot of things. Well, even knowing all that, if I'm Stuart Cook, I go and get my glass of water and walk back to my spot and make sure I do my damn job the rest of the game because you just never know it's going to happen, especially knowing your opponent ETS. Well, in fairness, you only you only had 30 more seconds to, to coach the tight ends and the tackle uh, position. But, yeah, I um, – Huge fan of way I've told I've got many from one who works in this office who is the consummate send the text too early guy, <laughs> and I'm like you just just wait because you can talk trash when the game's over. It's just as easy as sending something too early and then you're you're the dummy right because the the game lost or the team lost or whatever lost. Like why why not just wait? And as soon as you win, your trash talk is just as hurtful to everybody as it is in-game, and you only set yourself up for this if you do it too early. I can't believe it. And a coach. I'm always amazed when the coach is. Okay, good transition. That can fail. Okay, kids will be kids, right? As the student section was being kids and just doing their thing, talking trash, um, that's what kids do. But if you are – a player in a uniform during a game, in a game that, yes, appears to be over, but still against a team that has nine lives like the ETSU Buccaneers do, you still are just not quite sure. Maybe there's that little thing in the back of your mind that says, eh, I just don't quite know how this is going to end up, so maybe I shouldn't grab my midsection and make an obscene gesture towards the ETSU student section as number 73, William Nanafubu, your favorite guy, William Nanafubu, decided to do... The center. Uh, yeah. And he's at the center of some pretty stupid controversy that is spurred on only by the fact that he grabbed his center and directed <laughs> it towards the student section. Not a smart call, William. Your team lost. You're at home. And now, on top of it, you have to look on Twitter and see pictures of you doing some not... So, um, how can I even put it? Not so smart things, obviously, but also some uh, things that don't represent yourself or the program very well. Um, I'm quite sure that he is probably going to learn a lesson from it. Unfortunately, it's a lesson that he has learned too late as his team lost 32-31 to 31 with the miraculous comeback from the Bucks. <laughs> William Nanafubu. <laughs> 
Well, and I found it interesting because at the end of the game, there were a couple players that specifically ran up to a Kennesaw State guy and was waving by in his face, and I thought, well, that's a a bit. Like, there had to be something going on, but they were the defensive tackles. Jay Mills, one of them, a couple others. But since they're head up of the center, I would assume that makes sense who they were waving at because he would have been on the play. He would have been on the field for the last play of the game. And uh, I saw the video late yesterday, and then it kind of came to me that he must have been chirping, not just to the student section, but he must have been chirping a lot because there were guys that specifically didn't want to go celebrate with the students in the team to make sure that they waved him by and was kind of showing him the, the doors. They were waving him off like, please get off our field. And I thought, oof, that's, that's, that's not real great. But uh, – now it makes sense that uh, he may have been talking not just to the student section. He may have just been talking Ugh. all together. And, again, it goes to the the student section stuff. Uh, it is – you could see a player loot get cost, you know, lost in the moment. And, I mean, he's doing pretty good, just like the tight ends coach. But the coach is much more <laughs> excusable than the player. I agree. <laughs> it's just uh, – William, I you know, he's young and he – Obviously believes a lot in his team, right? And the team was taking it to ETSU for the vast majority of that game. But that is a tough lesson to learn, especially in that moment, especially in the age that we live in with social media and such. Because, you know, in your day and even, well, my day there was definitely social media. Twitter was not the behemoth that it is right now. Um, I think you maybe could have gotten away with it around those times unless somebody happens to have, you know, a camera and they're like, hey, let me take this and it develops instantly. One of those that like just spits out a photo and you shake it off, like however that thing works. Obviously, you don't even know what a camera is. But uh, you have the instant ones where all that stuff. The old Polaroids. I don't know. Yeah, Yeah, the Polaroids. Yes, right. Whatever that is. So uh, (laughs) you've got that. Unless somebody has to time it up perfectly, like you probably could have gotten away with it. But right now, especially, it looks uh, very, very unfortunate uh, for him and his team. But yes, I absolutely agree. As an adult, not caught up in the, or you shouldn't be at least, caught up in the emotion of the game, and someone that has been through all of this before, the coach, what are you doing? Third fail. Okay, you got to fill in some blanks for me on the third fail, because I have only gotten snippets of what you're attempting to get more information on, but you have more information than myself. Okay, so for Buck Nation, this is something that was brought to my attention, uh, and the gentleman's name, Doug Macy. Sent me a message. I'm going to read the first message, and I'll fill in the gaps here. Uh, he says, hi, Jay. was just reaching out with a question. I'm a fan of a rival Southern Conference football team. My buddy is a diehard ETSU fan, so his buddy's very smart. We know this already. I was doing some trash talk before the season. My buddy challenged me to back it up and throw down a bet, which we don't encourage, but that's okay. He accepted, and while I hate to say it, this is Doug talking, when you won the conference championship, Doug lost. So now... He has to shave his head and paint it, ETSU colors and logo. He sends a message because uh, his buddy thought it would be important that the podcast be able to cover this. So what we're going to do, Doug. What a guy. I am going to cover this, Doug. Doug is going to call me this week, and we will record a five-minute interview to hear Doug talk about it. And Doug's going to do one better. They hired a professional face painter and barber and photographer, videographer for the event. So not only are we going to get Doug to shave his head with proof that he's shaving his head, then a professional face painter is going to paint his bald head ETSU colors and logo, (laughs) 
And we're either going to put up the short video, depending on how long the video is, uh, or at least have the before and afters. But we're going to have Doug Macy, who volunteered this, as the loser of a bet to an ETSU fan, shave his head, paint it blue and gold with a logo. I can't wait. Did he say who his buddy is? He, uh, he, no, no mention of the buddy. Whoever he is, he's a genius. Okay, whoever is listening to Doug's buddy, you are a saint for A – making sure that he is held to this, B, having so much belief in the box, and C, wanting to make us aware of it. I mean, that is exceptional. And for Doug, I have to give him props, too, because the fact that he is going to be a man of his word Absolutely. and go through with this, applause. I, I don't mean, know, I don't know who, you know for both of these individuals. And, and, and we, you had to listen to the podcast to throw this out here to know that this is, this is the pettiness we come here to bring you every week and fail down. <laughs> this is the pettiness we want. And this is the fun side of fan stuff, right? The bad side is you get the Kennesaw State ETSU sex, some of that. that that's, it's a part. It happens. I get it. We would rather cover this fun stuff. Unless we're making fun of somebody after they lose to ETSU, then we like to make fun of them. But I, this is what we come here for. So, Doug, uh, I, I'm you're glad man, Doug. you reached out. I'm glad you're a man of your word. I'm also glad that your buddy went ahead and went a step further to hire all these professionals to make yes. sure it's done correctly. <laughs> and the fact that we've offered up videos, uh, pictures, and Doug is going to give me five minutes of his time to explain how this all really broke down and give me the full story because I feel like it's not done justice in a three-paragraph email. I got immediately after the game. This is one of the greatest things I've ever received after the game. I was like, oh, this, is, this is unbelievable. Ooh, Doug and Doug, Doug, Doug and Doug, Doug. So excited for Doug and for us and for the buddy of Doug because that sounds like it's going to be an excellent production that we are going to be able to share in. Fourth fail, okay, we're going to talk, obviously – a gargantuan amount on Thursday before you leave for Fargo, North Dakota, ETSU, NDSU, 12 Eastern, 10.30 pregame, Buccaneer Sports Network, Voice of the Bucks, J.C. Andos, on the call. We will have it right here for you. But before we do that on Thursday, we have to turn the page a bit and just give a prelude to what ETSU is apparently walking into and the thoughts of some on the Buccaneers as they walk into it. And we call these fails for obvious reasons. Firstly, you alluded to it at the end of segment one. Vegas, on one of their sites, one of the odds makers that is interested in taking uh, financial uh, indiscretions on behalf of third parties based on the discretions of first and second parties, has ETSU as plus 10,000 to win the national championship. I'm, I'm looking at a different one has plus 15,000. So what do they have as the second least likely team? Because this site had as the next least likely. Keep in mind, ETSU plus 10,000. Montana plus 2,200. So that means ETSU is thought of about four and a half times less likely to win the national title than anyone else left in the field. This has Montana at 2,500. Ah! Yes, yes. Six times. That's yeah. six times. I mean, that is unbelievable. And just the gap between... If you want to put ETSU last, okay, I get it. We haven't been on the stage before. Still a relatively new program. There isn't a track record. All right. The rest of the field is pretty chalk, right? How many seeded teams won seven, and then the eighth was SDSU? Which, ev- which was favored. All Everybody had them. Had them like eight and a half, nine-point favorites, and they are typically a top five or ten team and have been for quite some time in the country. If you want to put them last, I get it. Four and a half times less likely or six times less likely. That is infuriating. Uh, a couple of others that we have to call out. At J.E.R. Jorgensen on Twitter – says that he thinks NDSU is going to win by 20 or more over the box. At Roger Duell says the Bison by 21 or more. And perhaps one of my least favorite, at William Harper 89, 
LOL, the SoCon champions don't deserve respect. ETS, you pulled off the luckiest win I've ever seen. I know you're happy because KSU almost made your touting the SoCon all season look foolish, but KSU was the better team yesterday, and everyone in FCS knows it. You know why they weren't the better team? Because they lost, William! They were not the better team! ETSU was 32-31, FCS quarterfinals. Shut your mouth, William. It's over for your owls. I love that. Uh, I, I don't know that I could top that. Uh, I believe there's only one way to prove you're better, and that's win. Win the game, William. Am I am I confused on that? I don't, I don't think so. I think uh, Kennesaw State's going to go back to their, uh, you know, believing that they're better and more pompous than everybody else. But, boy, they had a bad week against the SoCon. Two losses in basketball, one in football. SoCon Twitter just, Got just clowned the by actual SoCon Twitter. Conference oh. official Twitter clowned them, which I enjoy. Um yeah, Kansas State. Just, I think it's going to be interesting when they go into a better football league next year, uh, which which could be a good thing because if they dominate that, they'll get a little bit more respect. But uh, the whole year better. If you were better, you could have stopped 15 points in the last five minutes. That's that's what better teams do. Really, in the last 90 seconds. I mean, that's true. They give up 15 points the last uh, yeah 90 seconds. Boy, stop them on fourth down. Get recovered onside kick. Stop a two-point play. There's a lot of hate there for ETSU going into Go for into it on NDSU. fourth down. Get you some. There's a lot of hate for ETSU going into NDSU. A lot of hate. And that was just no, the tip no. of the iceberg. More, more, so it was already uh, the second most least likely upset was Kennesaw State over ETSU. It was the only other, I believe, road team that was favored in FCS was Kennesaw State over ETSU. And, boy, Vegas took a bath in that too, right? Because <laughs> everybody kept pounding Kennesaw State. That line kept moving towards the Owls. And at some point in time, you're sitting there, if you had no dog in the fight, and you're just like, I'm just going to take this favorite. And I don't know if it made bad beats or not with Scott Van Pelt. It's one of my favorite segments where they show you these absurd endings. That would lead it. But, you're, but at, the, at that point in time, how many people do you think are screaming for ETSU just to kick the extra point? Get the overtime. Get the, maybe, maybe Kennesaw State kick over. Get the overtime. If only get for selfish overtime. reasons, they definitely the, were, yeah. It's, it's just like when we played the Vegas 16 game, and ETSU is beating Louisiana Tech, and they're trying to dribble out the rest of the game, and a guy behind me is yelling to take a shot because he has the over, and the <laughs> over is one point away. Don't dribble it out. I got the over. I got the over. He's drunk as can be. It was unbelievable. Uh, People are sick. Uh, it's, an, it's not good. <laughs> and and that, that tournament was spectacular because people would bet the games, then go gamble in the casino and just come in for the last five minutes to see if they'd won or lost the bet line. How cleaned out do people get at sporting events in Vegas when you can talk yourself into going and trying winning it back like two seconds down the road? Oh, thank goodness. We don't play any more Vegas tournaments. All right, here we go. Let's, uh, what do we got? Bold prediction recap? Yep, bold prediction recap after this. And a sidekick of the Market Air Sports Network. For over 75 years, Bright Ridge has powered our community, providing the energy to live, work, and play. And now we're looking ahead, investing in our community today, and building the infrastructure to power our community tomorrow. We're supporting zero-emission electric vehicles, harnessing the sun to provide clean, renewable community energy, and expanding into broadband services for our shared future. Bright Ridge, your community power, here for you. Shohei Otani has taken the MLB by storm this season. He's the first player in MLB history to be selected to the All-Star Game as both a pitcher and a position player. If they were committed, if they put in that 
Bears, a six-foot-six, 225-pound three-star shooting guard, was this year's Southern Conference freshman of the year. But Jay is my teammate. He stepped up with the 17 green to our left, the 18th tee, 45 yards away. Jay proceeds to hit from the 18th tee to the 17th green and into the 17th line. Shut up, Robert. Can I say what Robert did, though? Tell me about that, and then tell me about okay. how you made Kennesaw State's radio people mad. Uh, well, okay, let's start with Robert first. He's wearing his ETSU game gear that we've worn every game but one, which was Chattanooga, so we take the loss for that seriously. He's at the SEC championship game, sitting in a suite, watching it on his phone with his wife, taking pictures of him reacting. At the SEC championship. At, watching uh, loosely Alabama and Georgia, watching – the Bucks game, and then live texting us different things during the game. He was not locked into the SEC championship game. He was 100% locked in. Unfortunately, his real, I'm going to use quotes here, real job uh, made him go uh, have all the free drink and food you can handle in a suite for the SEC championship game. So it's hard not to, and night before, so it's hard to feel sorry for him. But he's uh, already uh, sent in his information. He will be in Fargo. Uh, we believe Matt's going to be in Fargo, too. So we got that going. He, uh, the Nolan Alexander Kennesaw State radio crew, I think what happened, and I got a report at halftime as I come back from the bathroom that David Fox or SID says that, hey, the Kennesaw State crew is uh, unhappy with me, and we're going to talk to me after the game about uh, something I misinterpreted is what it was said, the way it was said to me. So the only thing I can come up with is in the press area, they have the radio call on because all the local people uh, want to hear me and my slant. Who didn't want to hear my slant was the Kennesaw State, a couple of the beat writers and a couple of the SIDs that Kennesaw State brought who were very unhappy, I guess, that they were playing. But in this one game, ESPN didn't send a feed, so there was no other audio option. You couldn't put Kennesaw State's on. You couldn't put ESPN. It was only me, so it was the only choice you had. And I'd made a comment relaying to Nolan Alexander saying on Bobby and Kenny, uh, Morning Monster, or maybe it was Bud, whoever it was, but they were talking to Nolan Alexander, and he had made a comment about, you know, how good the linebackers were in the front seven, and basically, you know, the strength is there, which honestly is there. And they proved it in the game, I thought. But basically he said, you know, if those guys don't make a tackle, you know, the problem is if Sanders and Holmes get in the open field, feel like it's going to be a house call. So I read into that is he had zero faith in the secondary if you get past the linebackers. And I'm going to bring it up, but the two times Quay Holmes got past there, it was pretty much a sieve of a defense tackling drill on the touchdown catch, the long one, and then the long touchdown run. There were five guys, and Holmes did a nice job to spin out, but the two secondary guys didn't really try to bring him down in either one of those. So – I feel justified in what I said. Now, I get where Nolan is getting reports from his beat writers and his media relations people because I'm not thinking about I'm being broadcast into the booth. I'm just thinking about, I'm right, I'm speaking to the Buck fans. So I could see how if they're coming on him, I could see where he could be mad. Now, he never did stick around to say anything to me, but to be honest, the way they lost, I wouldn't have stuck around and talked to anybody either. I would, I would just listen. And he was riding Team Bus. Can you imagine that? He rode the team bus up, had to ride the team bus back. I don't think he wants to deal with that. So um, I think that that was where that came from. Uh, But they're 
They have a former defensive tackles or color guy, and I, I want to know part of that. Dude. You got no faith in Matt Wells enough? Uh, no. <laughs> maybe <laughs> Don, no. Well, I, I figure if I could get my dad and Don maybe to high-low them, then, mm. then, then I could come in there. But Four on one. Seems a, bit unf- seems, <laughs> seems a bit unfair for, for us to lose that fight, doesn't it? <laughs> okay, bold predictions. You had 12 right coming into the week. I had four, and you've only extended your lead because somehow you got your 30-30-40. Rush TD of 30 yards. Holmes had a 31-yarder. Receiving 34, or I might have those flipped, but 31 and 34. You got it by like yeah, yes, a couple of inches. Was 34. You got it by a couple of inches. <laughs> and then you got the field goal, uh, which was legit. Uh, no doubt about that. Tyler Keltner from distance, but... You got a couple of by like a couple of inches. Garbage. Uh, 56-plus yard return did not get that. 36 or more points. You actually almost backdoored your way to that. Didn't get that either, though. Uh, I said 5.2 yards per carry. You know, if you take out sacks, how many yards per carry each is you had? 5.2 exactly. But, but, <laughs> but, you know what you, but, you, but you know what you said? I said You even said I know it. You even said it. It's hilarious, though, that it went to 5.2. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I fell six yards short of getting my 100-yard receiver that was not quite Holmes or Will Huzzy and Nate Adkins late. Obviously fantastic. Um, it just continues to pile up against me. You get things by inches. I miss things by inches. Like I, It's unbelievable. Um, it sounds then, right to me. I don't know what you're complaining about. And then I got, uh, I said neither team would be over 21 points, and I thought that that looked fantastic in the first, you know, 20 minutes, and then you have 63 combined points over the last 40. I, it was honestly kind of the game that I was expecting until the last five. Uh, yeah, until the last five, I wasn't expecting Kennesaw State to be up that much, but I was expecting like a 24-17 game. I went bold and went a little bit lower. Um, and ETSU just is who they are. They are the greatest comeback kings in the history of the world, and it's just fantastic. Even though I'm getting bold predictions wrong, obviously that pills in comparison to a monumental victory. Well, it's their world, and we're living in it right now. It is unbelievable. So that's our recap. We could have gone another hour. But unfortunately, we got to do other things, like getting ready for North Dakota State, unlike Kennesaw State, who is done and taking their bye week seriously, I hope. All right, we'll be back Thursday. We'll preview the Bisons and the Bucks.